The works of Agatha Christie are still a part of popular culture. In a writing career that spanned more than 55 years, she wrote 72 novels, 66 mystery novels, and in 33 of those mysteries, Hercule Poirot was the main character, the main man trying to figure out the mystery, like what is going on here. The Guinness Book of World Records recognizes Agatha Christie as the best-selling novelist of all time. Her novels collectively have sold more than four billion copies. Her best-selling novel, mystery novel of all time is And Then There Were None, which has sold over 100 million copies. She is also the most translated individual author. Her novels have been translated into over 100 languages, 100 languages. And if you think, if you think that's an achievement, look at the Old Testament and the New Testament. Together, the Bible translated into 670 languages. The New Testament alone translated into 1,521 languages. But Agatha Christie has a, a unique take on how to figure out a mystery. And I'm going to show you a little clip from her, from her story, Murder on the Orient Express. And I call this, There is Right, There is Wrong, There is No In-Between. You are staring. Does it stop? It's just... How did you know it was him, sir? From just a tiny crack on the wall? I have the advantage. I can only see the world as it should be. And uh, when it is not the imperfection, stands out like uh, the nose in the middle of the face. It, it makes most of life unbearable. But it is useful in the detection of crime. But it's as though you see into their hearts and divine their true natures. And whatever people say, there is right, there is wrong. There is nothing in between. And so the enigmatic Perot says succinctly, there is right and there is wrong. There is no in between. What does it take to solve a mystery? It takes attention to detail. It takes a sharp eye. It takes a motivation to put all these diverse speculative pieces together to find out what is right, what is obvious, what is, is not the way it should be, so you can figure out what is the way it should be. And mysteries call us into that work all the time. You may have encountered a mystery this week in your life. You certainly at some point or another have encountered a mystery. Let me tell you the story of a mystery. A man was driving down a long country road on a beautiful day, top down in his convertible, and he was just having great thoughts about having a, a good time that day, maybe stopping at a roadside stand to buy some ripe watermelon or cantaloupe or just have a, a good lunch in a country cafe, when suddenly a rabbit darted out into the road in front of him. And you know how rabbits can be sometimes? They run this way, they run that way. And he tried to avoid hitting the rabbit, he tried to avoid hitting, hitting the rabbit, but boom, he hit the rabbit. It was almost as if the rabbit jumped right into the car. He screeched to a halt. With bated breath, he walked around 
the fender of his car, and he looked, and there was the rabbit lying dead. And this is a man who loves animals. He's a man who, with great emotional sensitivity, and all he could do in that moment was to break down and cry. And so he's leaning up against the car, and he's crying, and he's crying, and he's crying. Going down the road in the opposite direction is a woman, and she sees this man pulled over, crying up next to his car, and she just has to stop. She's compelled to stop and find out what's the matter. So she pulls her car over. She gets out. She runs over to the man. She says, what's, what's the matter? What happened? He said, I, I tried the hardest. I tried the hardest that I could to avoid hitting this rabbit, but I hit the rabbit, and the rabbit is dead, and there he is. I just feel so, so bad. And she says, don't worry. Don't worry. Just stand here. Just wait. Don't worry. She runs back to her car, reaches into her purse, pulls out a can, runs back over, gets up to the rabbit, and sprays the rabbit liberally. Sprays, 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 sprays. Suddenly, the rabbit jumps up, looks at the two of them, waves, runs 10 feet down the road, turns around, waves, runs 10 feet down the road, turns around, waves until finally it's up over a hill and they don't even see it anymore. The man is dumbfounded. He just doesn't know what to even think. He turns to the woman and he said, what's in that can? She hands it to him and he reads, Professional shaping spray revives dead hair with a permanent wave. <laughs> Went a long way around the farm to get there. In this first section of, of Colossians chapter 2, Paul is about to proclaim that a mystery is solved. He's going to say, a mystery has been solved. It's been there for all time, but now we know the answer. Colossians chapter 2. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, in Christ, you find everything. Everything that you really need to know. Everything that there is about knowing God and knowing life and knowing the meaning of life. And you find it in a person. You find it in a relationship with this person. It's not something that you can figure out. And he's going to talk about that in just a second. But one time, a long time ago, somebody said this. A lot of people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. A lot of people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. And if you take that from horizontal and you move it to vertical, it's the difference from your head to your heart. 18 inches. You can try to figure it out, 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 and you can't. It's a mystery. But the mystery is revealed in your heart when you come to know what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments by fine sounding arguments in the king james it says deceive you by enticing words in colossians this verse 4 as stated in the message reads as follows and we've been shown 
the mystery, I'm telling you this. And we've been shown the mystery, I'm telling you this, because I don't want anyone leading you off on some wild goose chase after other so-called mysteries. You see, we live in a day and time when, in our culture, we love options. Give us options. It's around us all the time. It swirls around us. We see it in advertising. Want more options? We can help you find more. We want more. We want options. And so we apply even this idea of options when it comes to sneakers or when it comes to clothing or when it comes to, to glasses, frames. We apply this to faith, too. We want options. You've got to give us options. God, there must be options to this thing. But God says, no. And Paul writes it this way. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Let's look at some diagrams. The first one we're going to look at is atheism. Atheism says succinctly, God does not exist. Theism comes from the Greek God Theos, put the word, the letter A in front of it, means to take away from, take God away. There is no God. Atheism. Agnosticism. Gnosis is the Greek for knowledge. Put the A in front of it. A, gnosis, agnostic. And you get, I don't know. It's not known if God exists. It's not, maybe it's not possible to know if God exists. I just don't know. Polytheism states there are many gods. There's a God here, there's a God there, there's a God everywhere. It's kind of old MacDonald has a, has a God. There's a God here, there's a God there, there's a God everywhere. Polytheism. Deism. There is one God independent of the universe, but God is not able to or is unwilling to interact with it. Therefore, miracles and relationship with God is not possible. Pantheism. Everything is God. God is you. God is me. God is the universe. God's your dog. God is, is everything. Everything that is contained within the universe and the universe itself is, is God. Pantheism. Monotheism. There is one God independent of the universe, but able to interact with it. Ah, and this is where we come to the mystery. There is one God, independent of the universe, but able to interact with it. And so you look back in history, where do we see this God interacting? We see this God creating a man and a woman in a garden long ago. We see this God talking to a man named Abram, who is later to be Abraham. He makes a statement to Abraham that Abraham is going to have descendants. He says, look up into the sky. When you see all those stars, so shall your descendants be. And Abraham is overwhelmed with this relationship that he's having with God. You see, you see a burning bush. And out of the burning bush, the voice of God comes to a man named Moses. Moses, 
Moses, and, and God does something astounding through Moses. You see an angel bringing a message from God to a, a young girl named Mary about how her life is to be forever changed. You see, this God is, is independent of the universe, but this God is also able to interact with us within the universe. There is right. There is wrong. There is no in between. Let's look at this next section of Colossians chapter 2, which I call, Show Me a Sign. Show Me a Sign. I was in Ocean City, Maryland a couple weeks ago, and just walking down the street, and I see this sign right on a corner. People driving by, people riding bikes by, cars flying by, and I walk up to it. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And that comes from Acts 16, 31. If you go back to Acts 16, 31, you find a woman named Lydia, who God loves so much that through the Apostle Paul and his ministry, she came to believe in Christ, and everybody in her household is saved by believing. You see, a man, we don't get his name, but he's the jailer. Paul is in jail, and, and the jails just, just break open miraculously. And the jailer is, is totally afraid, but they're able to talk to him. And everyone in his household, including the jailer, and everyone in his household is saved by believing. Show me a sign. Jesus is that sign. Paul writes, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision, not performed by human hands, your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. In other words, Christ does something different. He does a work of transformation. It's why John calls it, why John writes about it. He doesn't call it, Jesus called it this, and John writes about it in John chapter 3. Born again. Jesus does a work within us where we are born from above, where we are born able to understand God's thoughts and able to understand what God is calling us to do instead of, instead of living out of our own desires, instead of living out of, out of personal motivations that are deeply self-centered. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. I love this quote from Beth Moore when she talks about this faith journey that we're on with Jesus Christ. As much as we wish it did, the journey of faith doesn't vaguely take place in a straight line, but rather in these ever-inching forward loops of circling back to the northbound truth that Jesus is it, everything, the only thing, all the things. There is right, there is wrong, there is no in between, and Paul is, is just arguing with a deep love and encouraging with a deep sense of responsibility that people understand that it's all Jesus all the time, that you can't have faith in anyone else, you can't have the effects of faith through anyone else. He continues in verses 13 and 15 through 15, when you were dead in your sins in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. You're alive. You're alive the way Jesus 
was alive after he died on the cross. Now you are alive. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Do you get this picture that Paul is, is writing here, that he's painting? Here's Jesus dying on a cross. It looks like an ugly scene. It looks like a barbaric scene. And Paul says, no, you don't get it. God used that. God used that to disarm the powers. He made a public spectacle, not of Jesus, who they thought was a public spectacle. He made a public spectacle of all those who didn't believe who didn't receive him, who didn't listen to him, who didn't hear, heed his voice and understand why he came into the world. This is the mystery that was revealed in Jesus Christ. And so I come to what I call spirituality rides again in this second chapter. Paul says, Therefore, we do not let anyone judge you by what you eat, or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind spirituality rides again. Just as it did in the days of Paul in the middle of the first century, it rides again here in the early stages of the 21st century. What is Paul saying? He's saying there are people who like to, to say, you got to do it this way. There are people who like to say, well, I think it's like this. There are people who create their own spiritual reality and then say, I am going to define my spirituality by this that I propose to you, and I'd like you to define your spirituality, maybe by my spirituality. I looked around, and I found an apt definition of spirituality in our day. Spirituality gives the individual autonomy, spirituality gives the individual autonomy over his or her interpretation of the soul or spirit, whereas religion implies participation in a communal practice and interpretation of divine belief and worship. Okay, so what's that mean? What it's saying here in this context is that when an individual, a person, wants to have autonomy over what they believe, they usually call it spirituality. And I hear this all the time. I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. I'm not like you, you're a pastor and you go to church and you read the Bible, but I'm, I'm spiritual, I think like this, and I believe like this. It's an individual making an autonomous choice to craft their own style of believing. Over and against, and in this context, I'm using religion not in a, a pejorative sense, uh, but I'm using it in the sense of this is kind of what we do together. We decide that the truth is 
And we can't change the truth. The truth is that, that Jesus Christ revealed the mystery of the ages to us. So we put our faith in him. We build our lives upon him. And he builds his life in us and through us. We become the church which draws us together. So we do things together. We do ministry together. We do mission together. We want to look like Jesus looks together. Everybody connected to ministry and mission. Everybody looking like Jesus. And this becomes something that knits us together because it's the right thing to believe. It's the right thing to believe. Do you know that Google shows a 20% increase in searching for the word spirituality within the last 10 years or so? Why is that? Because people want to believe something, but they don't necessarily want to believe in something that somebody else says is the truth. They want to be autonomous in creating their own truth, which is why last week we talked about truthiness. Truthiness. And so we come to a, uh, a quote that communicates the futility of personal autonomy. And it comes from Frank Rich and the New York Magazine. The American dream has been shattered. No longer is lip service paid to the credo that a vast country might somewhere in its DNA have a shared core of values that could pull it out of any mess. The American dream has been shattered. And why does he write that? Because there's a futility of autonomy. Now certainly the American dream that was birthed, that maybe the, the turning of the 20th century can still have great meaning. And I'm not denying that it can still have great meaning because freedom gives you an opportunity to work and freedom gives you an opportunity to save and freedom gives you an opportunity to find something that you can hold on to and build. But it doesn't take you from here to there. Only Jesus takes you from here to there. So if you end up living only for what you can build here, if you end up living only for what you achieve here, if you end up living only thinking this is the reality of which you are autonomous in and over, then you missed everything because you missed the mystery. You missed the sign. You missed that this tension between spirituality and religion is something dynamic that you have to really think about and you have to really come out on the right side of. But go back to the very beginning of this chapter, chapter 2 of Colossians, and you're going to see something pretty amazing. Paul is writing in the middle of the first century. And he's saying this, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you. I'm really in this for you. I'm really trying to, to encourage you. I'm really trying to make sure you know the truth and the truth that can set you free. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea. Ah, for those at Laodicea. Put that right here for a second. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge is as if Paul is saying what I once recently saw on a t-shirt. I can't explain it to you. I can't understand it for you. 
You have to understand it. I'll explain it, but you have to reach out for it. You have to embrace it. Because Paul realized that the expanse of this mystery covered just such a wide range of decisions in life. This, this glorious mystery got to the very heart of everything that, that we are truly all about. That's why he said, therefore we do not lose heart. For this momentary light affliction, in other words, this life that we're living, this momentary light affliction is not to be compared to the glory that is to come. Therefore, we do not look at the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen last forever. Paul's constantly saying, see the mystery, embrace the mystery. Let the mystery embrace you. Live in and through the mystery. And so we're in the middle of the first century. When he's writing this letter and he remembers, I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea. So we move fast forward about 30, 35 years, 35, 40 years, and now we're in the book of Revelation where John is writing to the, to the seven churches. And one of the churches he is writing to is Laodicea that Paul was contending for and, and encouraging them. And this is what the Apostle John writes. He hears... Jesus speaking, and he writes, To the angel of the church in Laodicea writes, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. This is, this is 35, 40 years later. And Jesus is talking to this church that Paul contended for, that Paul gave them the mystery. Paul told them the truth. And Jesus is going, look, I know you guys. I know who you are. You're not hot and you're not cold. You're playing some kind of game in the middle. I don't play a game in the middle. I don't live in the middle. I would rather that you either be one of two things, that you be hot, that you be on fire, that you be living the truth, embracing the mystery, letting the mystery live in you and through you. Or I would rather that you just walked away. Go ahead and be an atheist. Go ahead and be an agnostic. Make believe it doesn't care. We are not going to do this in the middle, Jesus says. We will not do this in the middle. I don't live in the middle. I need you to be hot with me. And when you're hot with me, when you're driving into ministry, when you're launching ministry, when you're living ministry, when you're breathing mission, when you're living out compassion in every area of your life, at home, at work, when you travel, wherever you go, when you understand the mystery lives in you, you carry it everywhere you go, then we can really get something done. And then Jesus has a mystery of his own. And the mystery of Jesus is I don't know why you won't listen to me. I don't know why you won't listen to me and let me live in you and through you. And you just want to play some make-believe game in the middle. And so Jesus says to this church at Laodicea, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. 
to the one who is victorious, which is the word Nike, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious, just as I Nike'd and sat down with my father on his throne. What's that a picture of? He, he Nike'd on the cross. He was victorious on the cross. And then he showed the victory through the resurrection. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And Jesus says, why won't you hear my knock? Why won't you open the door? Open the door so we can do this together. I'm not going to do a middle ground thing. I'm not going to do something where you kind of look good on the outside, but we really aren't talking on the inside. There is rights. There is wrong. There is no in-between. And so in Paul's letter that we call 1 Timothy, he, he just lays it all out in one verse. 1 Timothy 3.16. This Christian life is a great mystery. Far exceeding our understanding. We can't figure it out in our heads. But some things are clear enough. This is what we need to know in our hearts. He appeared in a human body, was proved right by the invisible spirit, was seen by angels. He was proclaimed among all kinds of peoples, believed in all over the world, taken up into heavenly glory. There is right, there is wrong, there is no in-between. You believe in the mystery, you live the mystery, you proclaim the mystery, the mystery lives in you. You are fired up for him. You are fired up to get something done with the gifts that he's given you. Get something done with what he's placed in your hands to take care of. And this is the mystery. This is what Paul wrote to this early, early church. And 35 to 40 years later, they were just going through the motions, trying to play it out in the middle somehow, keeping all their options open, basing their lives on truthiness rather than living in the center of the truth. So the challenge becomes for us, my friends, will we live the mystery? Will we let the mystery overwhelm us? Will we let the mystery set our hearts on fire? Will we let the mystery give us the vision of the kingdom of God so that we can live here loosely holding on to what he's given us so we can invest in what he is doing? I call you to that. I call you to the mystery and beyond. I call you to what God wants to do in you and through you. Because it's the only right thing. It's the only one thing. There is nothing else to believe in. And that's what Paul was writing to this early church at Colossae. It was his holy roar. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this holy roar of Paul to the Colossians and for what it means to us today as we live out the mystery, as we embrace the mystery, as we don't let the 18 inches between our head and our heart ever get in the way, as we live on the fired up side of the equation of life and we, we don't embrace in any way the middle ground where we're keeping all our options open, we're keeping everything safe. Father, help us with integrity to launch ministry. Help us with integrity to live ministry. Help us with compassion to love a broken and needy world, a world that needs, that needs us. 
to be the mystery to them with hands and with feet that are the hands and feet of Jesus, the mystery of God revealed for the ages. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.